this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Deep in the tannic-stained waters of the Okefenokee Swamp lies the beginning of a Blackwater River. In a fertile river valley that was once home to many Native American tribes, this river served as a natural waterway for hunting and trade. At 246 miles long, the Suwannee River is the third longest river in the state of Florida. The Suwannee is full of unbridled adventure as it cuts its roots deep in the limestone of Florida. A history deeply rooted in tales that allude to cursed and unsettable, unsettable ground, lore that can be traced back to the wrongdoings of the early Spanish con- conquistadors, tales of murder and savagery that has led some to believe the river is haunted. This week, we are joined by Steve Christian to hear some not-so-haunted tales from a river as old as time. Steve, you are a return guest three times over now. Grizzled veteran. This is yes, my third time. Hopefully, I'll get it right. And the whole basis of this <laughs> podcast tonight is we're going to talk about the third expedition. Now, the third time you guys have done the Swanee River, third annual Swanee River fishing expedition. Fishing expedition. You got any Enough. ghost stories? There was a lot of gunfire that last trip. <laughs> oh, that's right. Somebody was having a somebody, good time. Somebody cut loose in the middle of the night. We were just camped on the side of the river, just not at a designated spot. We just saw a spot. Public land. Public land that we could pull over. We set up camp in a little hollow. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, somebody started cutting loose. Just going to town, the, huh? The, the magazine dump. <laughs> right across the river, yeah. That's public land for you. Yeah. No, I think they were probably on private land that or adjacent, but you know the way. Well, the way the, the way the scarcity of ammunition probably won't happen this time, <laughs> not unless that's a wealthy fella. <laughs> but that seems like quite the quite the adventure you guys got planned out. What what? I mean, so tell me how it went the first time that when when it all started. How did you guys come up with this idea to do this? Um. I get introduced to the Suwannee River through my activity in, in scouting, Boy Scouts. And uh, went with a, a troop that were looking for things to get the older fellows to do. And a gentleman named Steve Brindle set up this trip. Uh, we had never gone, went out, had a blast. And we found out that you know there's these screened-in enclosures on the Suwannee River Wilderness Trail. And... We either stayed in those, or there were a couple of nights where the, the boys set up camp on the on the side of the river. Um, but it was absolutely fantastic. So I went, I don't know how many times with the scouts, and then as my kids got older and I moved on, I decided that I was going to go out and do the Suwannee River again. I was going to do a 50-mile trip, whether I was the only person out there or I found a buddy or two to go with, and decided that I would put it out as a backcountry hunters and anglers event. And that's actually how I kind of got into BHA because at the time it was fairly disorganized in Florida. It was just kind of coming to the Southeast. 
Um, I liked the ideal of BHA, went onto the website, found a guy named Josh Kaywood and said, this is what I want to do. He sent me an event form. And I started promoting it. And then all of a sudden I got a call from somebody in the Florida chapter, you know, Hey, <laughs> why don't you become part of the team? And so we set that up and I had met Steve at a squirrel hunt, the very first squirrel hunt yeah. that we ever mm-hmm. did. And I think you were the first person to RSVP. And then Gene Weldon was on that trip. Gene's been on the show. And my son. Mm-hmm. And there was John Jaquera and his son. And then the gentleman who is a retired prison guard whose name escapes me. Yeah, who I hunts out west and hauls his own horses. Yeah. Fantastic. We should have him on the podcast. He's got a ton of stories. If I could only remember That's how you got to remember his name first. <laughs> <laughs> well, he may listen to this and he's like, you know me. Um, I don't know him well, but every time I stumble across him, he's just a great guy. And I think that was our crew. And it started raining about 10 minutes after we got on the water and didn't stop till about 10 minutes after we got off the water. <laughs> it was it, like Forrest Gump. It wasn't light rain either. I mean, it was coming down. Um, when, when Gene fell out of his boat, he didn't get any wetter. Nope. <laughs> there was little rain, big old fat rain, rain that came in sideways, and even rain that came in from underneath. It was like Forrest yeah. Gump, man. It's rain. Yeah, it was really coming down. Yeah. So how long are you guys out there on that trip? Five days, four nights, mm-hmm. covered 50 miles. All in the rain. It, well, for the most really part. I mean, I mean it, it rained hard for three of the five days. Yeah. It, but when it rained. It wasn't kidding. Not no exaggeration. <laughs> like you, you had to bail the canoes, or you were going to be submerged. Um, yeah, I mean, and I mean, I don't mean like a little Dixie cup bailing. I'm, <laughs> you know, everything you got that hold water. Uh, but it was fun, and we really didn't do as much fishing as we did the second year. Steve, why don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. fishing. Well, I was in a solo canoe, and uh, fishing on a river in a solo canoe is challenging at best right you know because you're you're, you can't hold position you're you're trying to paddle you're trying to keep going and my canoe's not a um the canoe i used the first two years was a uh, like a kevlar cruising canoe it's really long it's like 17 feet but it's a solo canoe and uh, it's really made for covering distance right Uh, it's not not great for working out of you know but um and my, my canoeing is a lot like uh, – canoeing and fishing for me is a lot like small game hunting and walking. I will spend more time walking than hunting. And I just enjoy being out on a river and paddling, messing around in boats. You know, so, But this year, Jim and I are going to share an aluminum canoe. Uh, I hope I don't live to regret it. Well, actually, <laughs> I, I do. Actually, I hope I do live to regret it. <laughs> I'm riding in the back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we might have to. Otherwise, we're going to be bulldozing. Yeah, you know, I'm losing some weight, but I got a long way to go to catch the, you. Yeah, every, yeah, every, keep stuffing the front of the canoe is down, digging down. <laughs> no, it's um, no, I, I jumped at the opportunity. Um, it, it took me a while, but I'm now a firm believer in uh, grow where you're planted. Right? I'm not from the South. Well, I guess I sort of am, but I wasn't raised in the South. And, um, but I'm here now, so I take advantage of, of all this stuff I can. I've been canoeing my whole life. I've, uh, 
spent a lot of time in canoes. I just really enjoy it. I've done a few trips into Boundary Waters. I plan on doing another trip this fall. Um, probably end up just going by myself. It's not going to work out. So I'm going to combine that as a small game hunting trip at the same time, you know. So, yeah, I was really happy to go. And I'm a, I'm a poor organizer, so when somebody else would go to the trouble to tell us where to start and where to stop, I'm all, I'm all about that. I'll get right in there. You're right on top of that. I yeah. don't even, yeah, I don't even need to, you know, I don't even, I'm terrible about packing food, all that kind of stuff. I always bring too much because I might get hungry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If you don't have to physically carry it on your back, I'm all for it. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll pack some extra food because you're right. I'm, I might get hungry. I might get hungry. Yeah, it's too bad Gene Weldon wasn't able to join us because if I didn't say anything and just say, yeah, I'll be there, I'll be prepared and didn't show up with anything but a sleeping bag, I'd be fine because he'd have plenty of food and Gene brings all the gadgets to cook and coffee and got a thermometer to make sure the water's just right. And yeah, they're, they're fantastic gentlemen to spend any time in the outdoors, whether it's small game hunt or on the canoe. I compliment you both. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks. So what kind of, you guys are, this is a fishing expedition. What kind of fish are you guys targeting down through there? Wet ones. Yeah. Anything yeah. that'll bite? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not a, a good warm water fisherman. I just never have, yeah, I went fishing twice this weekend. Didn't catch a thing. Didn't catch a thing. Um, fish just laughing at me. But um, I would really like to. I, I know you couldn't keep it, but I would really like to hand line a sturgeon. <laughs> if I could uh, hook in anything. I'd like to see you too, and yeah. then I'll come visit you in prison. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm mean, not going to keep it, but if it takes the bait, you know, you got to fight it. you got to bring yeah. it in, right? Turn it loose. Hey, you, you can't do anything about what bites your bait. Yeah. But yeah. You, there's only so much you can keep. Yeah, yeah. We'll probably, in the evenings, set out some bush hooks. Just got to bring some stinky bait. And that's an easy, a fairly easy way to catch catfish. And the great things about hanging out bush hooks, you, know, you, you take them out and you, you go a little further past the campsite, hang out the bush hooks and paddle back upriver. So in the morning, it's kind of neat. You get on the water. Usually you've got just a little bit of evaporation, the mm -hmm. steam coming off it. And it's almost like an Easter egg hunt. Yeah, it is. It's the best time of the day, really. First first get out on the water. Yep. Yeah. And the catfish are maybe gar. We're usually pretty good at hitting the bluegills. Mm-hmm. Um, Small mouth. Yep. And there, there's, they have the Swanee bass, which I, I have yet to catch one. I've caught some modest size black bass. Um, and I caught a lot of really little bass, but I don't, I look at them and I'll pull up a picture and I'll see like, is that a Swanee bass? And maybe I'm catching them. I don't, I just don't know because they're really hard to tell apart, but they have a different pattern of their coloring and their mouth is a little different shape, but we're really just out there to have fun. And I, it's not the fantastic fishing that keeps me coming back. Um, a lot of it's the, at this point, it's the camaraderie. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, Steve, you've, you've covered, well, at the end of this trip, you'll have covered 100 miles on the Swanee, different parts of it. Yeah, yeah. We did, uh, well, we've done two five-day five trips already, right? So 50 miles. One, five, one, three. Okay. So, yeah, this will be a five-day. Um, the total 
from start yeah. to finish though, mm-hmm. when you do this one, you'll have covered a hundred total miles on this oh, one. Oh, okay. Different okay. miles. Yeah, yeah, stretch them out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a nice river. It's really nice. It's, uh, it's, it's, like I said, it's, it's fairly pristine. Most of it's public land on both sides, so there's not a lot of, not, you're not seeing a lot of docks, not a lot of, you know, swings or any that kind of stuff, and you can stop anywhere you want, um, as long as the bank's not too steep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it gets when it cuts through that lime rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and then there's this the springs too, which are really nice. <coughs> oh, gorgeous. Yeah. 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 If the river's not too high, and most of the time this time of year it's not. Um, even some of the little bathtub springs that a lot of times are underwater are, are visible and they're clear, and you can roll right up into them, and and they're pleasant. Um, it's it's, got, it's a good mix, right? Because yeah. you've got places where you are. There's definitely houses and a little bit more suburban area and then there's other places that from your view on the river you could be well the trees are different but you could theoretically be in montana you yeah, have no yeah. idea that you yeah. were it's gorgeous no and it, it's, it's a nice run because it's only it's only 10 miles and you could you can take all day to do that or you could get there in two hours Oh, yeah, between stops. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, 10 miles. 8 to 13, depending on, yeah. Yeah, you could, you could do that in two, three hours without even trying hard. You know, you right. You putz around, you know, taking your time, stopping, swimming, fishing, you know, likely spots. And some of those sandbanks the where the, the river's almost formed an oxbow, mm-hmm. but just the sand from when the river's been high is just piled up, those bright white, big sandy bluffs. Those are mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. I keep saying one night... I'd like to spend a night out on one of those things. Just never quite works out that way. Yeah, but then you're just coated like a sugar cookie the next morning, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> bugs. Yeah. So. Oh man. Yeah. Oof. It's you're not roughing it with those uh covered uh pavilions, the screened in uh camping things. What are they they're about twelve by twelve, fifteen by fifteen. They've yeah, got hammock some, hooks in them too as well. Yep. And electricity. Really? Yeah. Running water. Wow. Yeah. So you can get a fan running or, you know, I, I use a CPAP machine, so it's great. I always carry a battery backup just in case we run into one that maybe the power's out, but um, it allows me to do run around just as rough and rugged as anybody else. Um, and one of the best things about this, the screen, the screen is really fine mesh screen, and they've even taken the time to screen underneath. Mm-hmm. So if you look between the two by fours of your floor, that's screened in too, so... No matter what the environment is outside, no matter how buggy it might be, slide into there and you're great. Yeah, and they have ceiling fans, so you do get, um, that's right, you do have ceiling fans in there as well. It's a very backcountry wilderness trip. Yeah, yeah. yeah so for anybody at this point, you've heard us talk about it, thought you were going to rough it just a little <laughs> bit. Uh, if you think you're going to get a, a roughing experience out of this, you better be praying for rain. Yeah. Because other than that, it seems like you got it pretty easy. Well, you can. You yeah. don't have to stay in those places. Right. As I said, you could you could pick, you could get on the map and use Google Maps, and you can see those big, puffy um, um, Sand sandbars. Yeah. I apologize, and stay on those. Or you're paddling along, and there's a nice, high, dry. Oak hammocky area, pretty flat. Yeah, you we might have, you might have to climb up ten or twelve feet, but once you you can see, you know that it levels out once you get up there. Yeah, so. but you could definitely have the Tom Sawyer experience oh, on yeah, that river. Yeah. It's pretty cool. 
So we, we gotta, really need to build a we, raft. We've talked about doing that, getting a building a raft one of these days, and just <laughs> floating a raft, down <laughs> floating there. a raft down it. Yeah, it would be perfect. Yeah. So we got a pretty good idea how you get from point A to point B on this trip, but how are you getting back from from point B back to point A? So we we've laid out plans on different trips where um, you have everybody arrive at one time and in theory drop off all the gear and then have somebody take a couple guys take cars to the end and leave them. But it's it's easier. There are there are outfitters up there that you can use, um, so it's just easier to. Um, go find an outfitter and say and, and arrange for transportation. We'd like to leave our car here. Will you take us to a drop-off point? And will you pick us up at this other point at this time on this day? And it's easy. And then even for people that don't have kayaks or canoes, if if you still want to go, they'll rent you one. So there's no reason that anybody wants to go spend a couple of days on the river and have a real you can make it as rough or as cushy as you like, but you're going to have fun. Yeah, the outfitter, the driving, it, it's, by the time you drive back and forth and everything else, it's just about as cost effective to have the guy, you know, have the range for the ride. You know, and if yeah. you don't, if you don't, the most expensive part of the trip would be renting a canoe. But in theory, you could buy a canoe, use it, and then sell it after the trip and come out just about the same. Yeah. Right. The only advantage but to who doesn't the kayaker, need a, who doesn't need a canoe? Exactly. Yeah, the only advantage there should be nobody listening to this. There should be nobody listening to this podcast that doesn't own a canoe. <laughs> so if you think you don't need a canoe, I can give you plenty of reasons why you do keep, do need you a canoe. canoe. Yeah. 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 Canoes canoes are great little vessels. They're mm-hmm. so portable, uh, and yet you can still carry so much, way more than you think you could in a canoe. Oh, yeah, Chase and I went to um, Jumper Creek for three days in my canoe, in the one we're going to take. We had a lot of gear. We were loaded down, way more than we needed for that, that like the trip. So, Kayaks are all the rage now. And um, last year, my friend Henry and I did it in a two-man kayak. But when you're going to do it in a kayak, you really have to. It's, it's like ultralight backpacking. Um, the nice thing about a canoe, especially the big aluminum war wagons, I mean, you want to take a full size Yeti cooler and you know, 50 gallons of ice, you know, whatever you want, take the whole refrigerator if you had a (laughs) refrigerator and a generator if you wanted to. So, so I take it you guys' preferred method of travel down the river is via canoe, not kayak. It is for me. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've never been a, a kayak fan. I don't like sitting quite that low in the water. I like to be a little bit higher up. Um, kayaks are heavier; they're harder to pack. You know, for most for the most part, and uh, canoes just a little more versatile. I think all the way around. Yeah, kayakers are the Patagonia crowd. Yeah, you know, in a pinch, you could even use your canoe as a shelter. Oh yeah, you just yeah. roll right over, flip yeah. it upside down. You got plenty of room underneath it to sleep. Or if you throw a tarp in there and a little bit of line, it's easy to use the the poles to help you know, hold your help make a shelter. Yeah. Lean two out of it. Uh, little ridge line, done. Done that too. But you couldn't fit all that in a kayak. Just saying. <laughs> no, I, don't get me wrong. I, I had a lot of fun running it in a kayak. That was the first time I'd ever kayaked it. Um, but my 
there I kind of made a crack saying the kayaks, the Patagonia crowd. Um, and I didn't mean really mean to be uh, pejorative to consumers of Patagonia merchandise. I, I admittedly tend to think of myself as a little bit more rough and ready, and, and we're not going out there to just play for the day. We're going out, even though we're taking a kind of cush, we're going out for five days and want to be pretty self-sufficient in there. Though there is a place, Convict Springs River Rendezvous. I don't know if we're going to get there this year, but if we go by that place, mm-hmm. I'm stopping to get one of those bacon double cheeseburgers. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a real treat after a couple of days in <laughs> the water. So what do you guys do for food while you're out there? You ever catching, catch clean and cook fish? Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? I mean, what are you bringing along for food? What are you bringing, Steve? I know oh, Steve. What, Steve's already what, said he What can't. are we eating, Steve? Well, <laughs> yeah. no, I bring a lot of um, canned meats. You know, that's my opportunity to eat a whole can of Spam in one sitting. You know, a corned beef hash. You know, uh, we didn't bring eggs this last time, did I? Did I bring eggs? I don't think I did. I have in the past. Usually eat them early, though, because uh, I bring a lot, of, uh, a lot of breakfast bars. I mean, all through the day. You know, I'll get up in the morning, just drink some coffee, eat a breakfast bar. Lunch, just almonds or something you know i can go all day without eating but then it, i really like to tie on the feed bag in the evening after i after i yeah. stop yeah so i'll uh you know bags of rice and just any kind of any kind of canned meat if i haven't caught any fish which is likely yes yeah, <laughs> you know for those that might be listening to this to th- with interest to going or maybe this inspires your interest to go one of the things that makes food storage really easy, especially dry goods, is a just a 50-gallon Homer bucket from Home Depot, mm-hmm. and you can buy something called a gamma lid. The gamma lid has an outer ring that snaps over the bucket, and then it has a screw-tight lid that screws into the inside of it. And that makes the bucket reasonably watertight. I don't want to quite say waterproof, but it'll float, and water won't get in it. And it just makes life a lot easier to to carry those dry goods in. Yeah, it won't get wet in the rain. It won't wet, get wet in the rain. The canoe's flooded. It won't. Right. If you dump over, you know. And if it's uh, the right color, you can find it downstream pretty easy. Orange, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when we went, especially with the scouts, you're talking about taking a lot of food for a, a pretty good crew. Um, and you really don't want to load their boats down with a whole bunch of stuff because you're always worried about them getting a little carried away, and then you are. You really are on an Easter egg hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, go get that before it floats away. Um, but some of the great, I'm kind of going back to food. Uh, things that work really great are things like some tortillas. Uh, and then tuna, like the tuna in the bags. Oh, yeah, the little individual serve tuna packets. Yes, and yeah. we may or may not have always made sure that we stopped at Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A has all those wonderful mayonnaise packets on the way up. Maybe Tabasco. Been there. <laughs> So those things work, and then peanut butter and jelly. So the nice thing about the tortillas is they give you a little bit of bread if you need some of that, and they're very, very versatile, and they don't take up a lot of room, and they're they're pretty rugged. So that was a, that's a great lunchtime or even breakfast snack. I mean, you, peanut butter, jelly, tuna, um, or chicken in the bag. Those things all work great, and they're really easy to. They're very durable. They're easy to take down the river. Um, and then that's the nice thing about a canoe is you can also have a, if you really want to treat yourself in the evening, you can have a small cooler with things that you want to keep cold and fresh, fresh vegetables and whatnot. Uh, keep a little bit of oil, fish fry. Yeah. Cause you catch the, you catch, it's easier to catch a lot of smaller bluegill 
And sometimes people think, oh, why are you going to keep that little three and a half or four inch bluegill? Um, if you understand how to clean them where you just gut them, scale them, maybe lop the heads off, and you've got that the whole fish gutted and scaled, bread it and take that whole small bluegill, drop it in the fish fry for, or drop it in the oil for three minutes. Cooks all the way through. It's nice and flaky. And some of, and people just don't think of us about fresh water, but those little bluegill are absolutely fantastic. Suck them right off the bone. Oh, yeah. Wonderful food. Absolutely. I I grew up eating bluegill as a kid, and that's all we have, how we always clean them. Head off, guts out, scale them off, cut the fins off there, bread them up, throw them in the fryer. You nibble on the tails and the... No, never did that. That's like bacon, baby. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Lugia tails are real. They're, I'm not. I'm not trying to just be more rednickety. They're 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 really good. They just melt in your mouth. The, the tail part. I have to try that. Yep, it's interesting. So you guys planning? Have you guys always taken the same route, or are you taking different routes every time you go? We go downstream. I would hope every so. Time, every yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> but your starting end points have they always been the same, or are you changing it up? Let's see. The first year we put in, the first year we put it at Swanee Springs State Park and canoed all the way down to Branford. Yeah. The second year we put in up in White Springs, right? Yeah, White Springs. Yeah, White Springs. And we canoed down to the Spirit of the Swanee Park. Yeah, we got up. With and that was a 30 mile yeah. trip. So this time we're going to stop at the outfitter outside of Swanee Springs. He's going to take us, for the guys that are going on the five-day trip, he's going to take us up to Spirit of the Swanee Park, drop in there. We're going to canoe back down to the Swanee Springs State Park where we're going to spend an incredibly rugged evening in a fully furnished cabin. Yeah. And then we're going to meet and rendezvous for the people that show up on Friday morning for the three-day trip and roll, roll on down to there, and we're going to pull out Oh my goodness, I can't remember the name of the bridge. But we're going to pull out of a bridge just past Lafayette Blue Springs State Park. And that whole trip is it's 50, it's like 50 miles on the nose if you do the five-day trip. And it's just under 30. I think it's like 27 or 28 if you do the three-day trip. That's not bad. No, and like I said, it's all downstream. So <laughs> theoretically, even if you didn't have a paddle, you're going to get there eventually. And you the, could just float. Yeah, yeah. River moves, get, well, depending on the height of the river, about three miles an hour. You're going to get there. That's not bad at all. I mean, that's my kind of uh, paddling, quote, unquote, paddling, just floating. Yeah, you're not doing any open water across lakes or anything like that where yeah. you're fighting a breeze or anything like that. You just, just keep it pointed the right way. Easing down the lazy river trying to catch fish. That's right. That's right. It's so, a lot of fun. Tell us about these these uh, sturgeon. Oh, sturgeon. They're, uh, you know, I, let's see sturgeon. Like I said, I'm from the northern latitudes. So I, I, I didn't realize sturgeon came this far south. So I was pretty excited to see them. But the, it is, uh, it's, it, it's a pretty primal thing to see that fish that's like four and a half, five feet long, come shooting out of the water and slam down like a log. You know, just, they levitate, man. They defy they, gravity. Yeah, they do a Magic Johnson kind of thing. They get up and they hang for a second, and then come down. That's I don't know how they do it, but they're they get, a Gulf they get, sturgeon. Yeah, they get to the apex there, and they just, down they come. 
So you're talking these giant fish actually physically jumping out of the water. Oh yeah, yeah. They call it breaching. Yeah. And I was I've, I've read up on it, and they're not entirely sure why they do it. They think that it might be to help them shake parasites, but apparently they only breach a certain time of the year. So I guess that parasite would have to be indigenous to the river, you know, or they think it might be essentially you know, their version of a turkey gobble. Yeah, I was going to say they're they're coming up the river to spawn. Right. And I don't know, is it males and females that both don't come know. out of the water? Might just be the males just, man, they're just so happy to be getting gone with it. You know? Maybe. <laughs> it's my time of the year. I'm coming out of the water. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I got to do something. <laughs> I've not had one hit the bottom of a canoe or not i've had them hit a canoe on the way down but they seem to be they're not they're not jumping because your boat's there they seem to be oblivious or just don't care that your boat's there uh because i i've had them come out of the water right next to the boat where they're they're shaking is there so i said like they levitate because they're they're still shaking their tails and whatnot where you're getting sprayed it's like that close it looks like a tarpon jumping yeah yeah. yeah, you're talking about a fish that's easily 80-plus pounds physically entirely clearing the water. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, they're, they're, they hover long enough that uh, on my phone, if I went, I can't show it on a podcast, but I've got movies where we were able to, sitting on the shore where the sturgeon were breaching, have it come out of the water, hit record, and catch it in the water, and then go back in. They're... They only come out of the water maybe two or three feet. It's just, like I said, they levitate. They they seem to defy gravity. Yeah, they they shouldn't stay out of the water that high, yeah, yeah. that long. Um, but from what I understand, that they're, I mean, they're fully protected. And unfortunately, as, just on the East Coast, like they've done on the West Coast, as they've dammed and changed a lot of the rivers, uh, they need to come up river very similar to a salmon to spawn. And we've 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 run them out of house and home. There's no place for them to spawn. So the Swanee is really special because it's one of the last wild rivers um, on, the, on the east coast and certainly in the southeast. But they go up they go up the Apalachicola and they go up some of those other smaller rivers. But I think that their last real holdout in Florida and the southeast is, is indeed the Swanee River. You can find them in rivers in Alabama and Mississippi too. Though I don't think they actually go up the Mississippi for some reason. It might just be too big. Um, I don't know a ton about them, but I am very much fascinated by the fish. But they used to smoke them, and you can find old pictures where yeah. these guys used to just string nets across the the river and net these monster fish in. And yeah, I don't. I'll know. never taste one, but I understand they're fantastic. I, I don't know how far their migration is, and you know, come up to Mississippi, it may not be a suitable place from the spawn. You know, yeah, they need rocky shoals until they're way far up there. Yeah, so there may be, you know, Swanee's gonna has plenty of that. Um, Mississippi's fairly That's on big muddy. fairly muddy. Yeah, right. Until <laughs> you get to Minnesota, <laughs> so. and and sturgeon, not necessarily the Gulf sturgeon, uh, but they are where you would get caviar from, or caviar as, as we know it for the most part. Your very expensive caviar comes from uh, Atlantic sturgeon, I do believe. Beluga. Beluga sturgeon, Stur- sturgeon. I don't, know if I don't know if the sturgeon's beluga is it. Do you know the Russian caviar? I don't, I don't the beluga know. sturgeon. I don't know. They, they, they practically farm those things over there. Thing. Yeah, a gazillion dollars an ounce. Yeah, I don't know how old a sturgeon has to be before he's five, six feet long, but I would imagine he's up there. But they age. look 
like a tank. They they almost like they've got armor, the little fins and stuff on the head, and they're really neat looking fish, in particular. Yeah, they've got like armored. Um, that's like a garfish with uh, raised spines, like a scoot on a, yeah, sc- yeah. On a gator. Yeah, like a, like on a gator. Um, I caught I caught one about four inches long once in a minnow trap up in Michigan. Yeah, yeah, it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. So what kind of gators you guys seeing going up and down the Swanee? They're there. Um, I've not seen any leviathans. No, because most of the water we've been is moving a little faster than they would prefer, I think. I think they also like to have a place to haul out, and some of the banks are pretty steep. Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen more in the upper part of the river. So the upper part of the Swanee, south of White Springs, if you go far enough up, you end up with dealing with big shoals. Uh, big shoals, right? Isn't it? No, only not, rapids I'm in Florida. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. It does, yeah the <laughs> yeah. Swanee River is Big home Scholes. to the only whitewater rapids in Florida. <laughs> yep. Um, but we start we start below the river, um, and someday we you know we might really want to think about going up and running the Okefenokee on down, but we could even do a portage. Um, yeah. But the upper part, when the water gets real low, actually becomes unnavigable even by canoe. It can the water can get so low that it's just no fun to run. And uh, all the outfitters will say we're not we're not going to run you. But once you get south of the Swanee River, Swanee River State Park, um, that remains navigable all year long. But there's actually there's actually a set of rapids just downstream, just downstream, a few couple couple hundred yards. That when the river is low, it gets a little dicey running there. You you probably don't want to navigate that sitting up in your canoe. You want to get down on the floor of that, otherwise you, you could very well dump it if you, you know, I don't want to say you could hit some big hydraulic or anything like that, but it's enough that you could, it, it you could get uncomfortable. It doesn't take much to broach a canoe, really, if no. you're uh, depending on the hull shape, you know, especially if you, uh, you know, uh, come up sideways on a, a branch or something or even ground the bottom, you know, hit hit the middle, right at the bottom of the keel, right in the middle. And get sideways, you can flip it over, especially if you overcompensate the lean. We were there, this was a scout trip, I don't know how many years ago, and the river was high. And coming around a, an island, the river got pretty narrow, I guess probably because it's a part of the river that's normally not there. And when you're we're shooting through there just because it was fast. And as we came around this island, though, we did find a canoe that was folded in half around a tree. And Ooh, I mean folded yeah. in half. And there was nobody there. I don't know how long it had been there, but I imagine that the people that managed to pull that off had a really uncomfortable time. Yeah. You know, yeah. They swam for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so have you looked into the history of all the ongoings around the Swanee River? And, you know, I talked about ghost stories reading this in here. You ever looked into any of that? Sure. You can ask me to recite some of it. I'm going to look like a knucklehead, but um, the Troy Springs itself has got an old paddle wheeler that is sunk right in the spring run. The spring run's not very long. I mean, how long is that spring run, would you say, out of Troy Springs? 100 yards? Yeah, tops. Yeah. And you can still see the the ribs, but that thing was a, I think it saw service on both sides of the, of the Civil War. One way, shape, or form, ran mail. 
Um, there's some bathhouses along the way. That yeah, yeah. Still there, you see the remnants of them. Ted oh. Bundy had his last, committed his last murder down along the Swanee River before he was caught. They don't tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> It's not See, the brochures. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, the stuff brochure, that I was yeah. I was digging through today, looking uh, up some of this stuff. There's a lot of crazy stuff. When I was talking about the Spanish conquistadors, uh, there was a lot of uh, murdering of the women and children of the of the uh, Native Americans that lived along the Suwannee River. And that, uh, that... Conquistadors were not about hearts and minds. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, it's, yeah, Spanish conquerors. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, but... That that's where the the folklore comes back. That they say that the Native Americans put a curse on the river to make the land unsettled. That's when you had uh, I can't remember the name of the town, the ghost town along the Suwannee River that was there for many years and then just disappeared. Uh, it it saw many fires and everything, but it really killed it when the post office closed down. The whole town just turned into a ghost town. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was right there. That was um, they actually wanted to when they bought the state of Florida make the mouth of the Swanee where it dumps into the Gulf of Mexico the state capital, but they couldn't find a actual... They, they could not discern where the actual mouth of the river was, so they decided not to do that and then defaulted back to Tallahassee. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Isn't it? Yeah. They, they wanted that because it had a, a navigable waterway up and throughout the state for trade and everything else, and then back out to the ocean. Huh. Makes sense. Huh. Yeah, that's pretty cool, and you know, I'm, I'm I guess I'm glad that those Indians put the curse on the river because it is it is not overly settled. There are some towns along the way, but that still it still remains. It's still re- relatively uninhabited today. Mm-hmm. For an East Coast river, it is. You know, you're yeah. asking about another pretty neat site. There is something called the Drew Bridge. It's an old railroad trestle. That, if I remember, I think it was actually. It's not really. Well, I guess it is still technically a trestle. Yeah. I think it was manufactured in in Philadelphia. I think they put it on a boat and managed to get it up the river. But what's interesting about the bridge is there is a giant concrete column in the middle of the river. And on the top of that sits this bridge. And they would turn it sideways so it would run parallel to the river to allow steamships to come through and then they would turn it back perpendicular to the river to line up with the railroad tracks for the for the trains to cross the, the, the river and that that bridge is still there of course they have it they've actually got it turned parallel to the river or semi-parallel to the river um and it's just a neat structure to see yeah it in. is yeah um i know that near there there's there's towns i know there's several there are several places that used to have towns on the swanee river just came and went just as the lumber trade and other things came and harvested the trees. They didn't need the, the, the town anymore and kind of blew away. Well, it's interesting. Stephen, Stephen Foster wrote the song, you know, Swanee River. Never, Never saw it. it. <laughs> Never saw it. And that's probably what makes it more famous than anything else. Um, but, it's you know, we keep telling all these stories. The, the best thing to do is to get out and see it. And I probably should have done my homework before we started the podcast because every time we go down the river and I see some of these old bathhouses or some of these old structures that are you know, kind of antebellum in nature, I always look them up. But then, I, unfortunately, I don't retain it. Yeah. 
But every time I go, it's always new again. So what is something you wouldn't dare shove off without? Ooh, second paddle. <laughs> <laughs> Sunscreen. I mean, although we talked about how it's pretty cush, it's still. You're still out on the water. Yeah. 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 Uh, but maybe a little bit more, which I think you're really looking for there is not so much the necessities, but I'd say peanut oil. Peanut oil and fish fry. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to bring that, you better bring a fishing pole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not necessarily. Bush hook them. Yeah. This is true. So you lost your catfish king this year. That was Chase. He did, he was not bush hooking him. Chase Weller, he, he was the only guy caught catfish, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, we'd be fishing the same dang hole. I'd pull out a couple of three-inch bluegill and Chase pull out a blue cat. Or not a blue cat, channel cat. And I thought, hmm. So they just they just liked his worms better. Or maybe just the way he had the sinker. I don't know, I don't man. But he was the only catch catfish. Man, catfish fry up so good, too. I, I think that's probably got to be one of the best freshwater-eating fish out there is a catfish. I love, love, love catfish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love catfish as long as they call them catfish. As soon as you start disguising them and call them swai and pulling them out of ponds of indeterminate origin from yeah. the southeast oh. or the southeast Asia, I, mm, no thank you. <laughs> Have you ever eaten catfish any other way but fried? Yeah. You know, I, I just crossed my mind when I talked about how much I love to eat catfish. I was thinking of all the ways I've had catfish, and I, I had is fried. Does blackened count as fried, or is that baked and then kind of seared? I don't know. It's seared in a black cast iron pan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've had blackened catfish. Half fried? Half <laughs> fried. Well, it's not breaded. I haven't tried boiled. I'm not going to boil it. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Sous vide catfish. Steamed? No. Yeah. All right. Fried it is. That's where we're we're going to settle that one right there. Fried. fried. Yeah. So tell me some of these stories you guys have got. I mean, we've covered a lot of them, but the mishaps, the adventures. Where's all begin? You've got to start with Gene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gene, uh, I didn't do anything. I did not take part in that story at all. I just saw the whole thing. I was eyewitness from start to finish. We were coming down the river, and I looked, just the way the light was, between two brush piles or fallen trees, I looked, and I saw that there was a bass. It wasn't on a nest, but it looked like it was on a nest, but it wasn't wasn't the right time of year. It was just sitting in this little depression, and see it plain as day. And I took my lure and probably couldn't make that cast again. It was on the money, just perfect, perfect. Not too big a spat, not too big a splash. As soon as that bait hit the water, that bass was on it. Wham! The problem is we were still moving downstream, and as I mentioned, it was between two brush piles, so I couldn't get it out. My son was in the canoe with me. We're trying to maneuver, but it's just not working. He's I couldn't I couldn't reel in the fish and maintain the canoe, and he was up front and didn't have the experience, so he got hung up, and the fish was still on. And Gene went over to try to get the the fish out, and he pretty much had it, but he needed one I think, more. I, I inch. think refraction got him. He thought the fish was closer than it was, <laughs> so when he he leaned over and reached in, reached a little farther, 
Sec- bypass the secondary stability of his kayak. <laughs> Over he went, just like that. Just and like for all that. of us there, we saw it in slow motion. Yeah. <laughs> it probably took two seconds to dump him. Yeah. But <laughs> we all saw it coming, and there was nothing we um, could do. And uh, <laughs> once, he cr- once he reached that critical, yeah, yeah the, the tipping point. Yep. Yeah. You, you got to see my hand doing that. It's like flipping, flipping, flipping. Boom, over he went. So, other than the uh, all that rain, other oh, than the- all that rain, I mean, we were, oh, when we stopped at the, uh, we pulled in, where's the restaurant at? What's the name of the place? Um, uh, Con- Convict Springs. Convict Springs, yeah. River, when we got there, we, we, we were about an hour from being hypothermic, I guess. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it it was coming down, it was like, can't do anything about it. You can you keep going or not, you know. And not going is not helping you at all. So, you know that, that evening that we stayed on the side of the bank, mm-hmm. and there was the, 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 you know, really, I think I don't think they were being dangerous. I think they were no, on their land. Yeah, but I also remember that night. I think it was that same night. There was also coyotes. Right, we heard. Calls or uh, I thought it was. I think they had. It a, was another night. Oh, I thought it was a toy poodle across the river. <laughs> oh, oh, was, yeah. Oh, there was that dog too. Yeah, yeah, oh, you're yeah, absolutely dog, right. Yeah, that dog that knew we were on the other side of the river and just all night long till till the folks with the guns came home. <laughs> very, very rural area. Hardly yeah. anybody out there. Guns yeah. and poodles. Yeah. <laughs> but the some of the some of the stories may not. They don't have a lot of comedic value. It's just, you said you're you're paddling down the river, and you look, and all of a sudden there's a little spring on the left or right hand side, and you park the canoe and you you wander up into that thing, and it's it's beautiful, it's pristine, mm-hmm. no trash. You sit in the water. It's cool because it's seventy two degrees, but on a seventy two degree day when it's ninety some odd outside, it's awesome. Um, We'll take, sometimes we'll just, you, you put your life vest between your legs or whatnot, and you sit on it, and you just, you just jump in, hold on to your canoe, and flotilla on down the river. You're going to get there. Just sit, you and your buddies, you share a beverage or whatever, and, and shoot the breeze, and you just, it's just the Tom Sawyer experience. The camaraderie, the environment. The disconnect from the day-to-day Hustle. That's the, what that's what I was just gonna say. For me, that's it's unusual for me to have more than a day where I'm not thinking about work. Usually about three o'clock on Sunday, my weekend starts being ruined because I'm thinking about Monday morning. You know, and it's really nice to be able to uh, just just shut off. You know, for a few days, and um, just turn your phone off and not worry about it. No, you don't have any commitments, and life is really simple. You know, you're just floating down the river, and it takes more than two days to really start to unwind and you know disconnect, like you said. I would anybody listening to this podcast that might be thinking five days. And, of course, having to balance work and family and whatnot. It, if you had to take the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday off, it's not wasted vacation. 
the first day you're on the river and it's all new, but you're right. It takes, it takes at least a day to settle in. Yeah. But once you've been on the river by the third day, it's like you've never not been on the river. Yeah. You're just part of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're just part of it. Yeah. And you're always sad when it's over. It's like, oh. No, I, uh, my canoe trips to the Boundary Waters, they've all been a week or so. And every time I was like, man, I can't believe this week is over already. You know, if I didn't have other commitments or obligations, I'd, I'd be in there as soon as the ice melted. So <laughs> explain to people who might not know what the Boundary Waters are. Oh, the Boundary Waters, a huge area in northern Minnesota, stretches up into Canada and becomes Ketiko, uh Canoe Wilderness Area. Um, thousands and thousands of square miles of um, mostly lakes, very, very little uh, – not too many rivers, but it's mostly lakes, little, little creeks going down. But you could get up in there, and, and the way it works is uh, access is controlled by, you know, you can, only so many people can put in at certain, at all the thousands of access points per day. But once you're in there, there's no, it's not like, well, you put in here and you have to go there. Once you're in, you can go in, you know, and go wherever you want. And so, you know, but it's, it is just really, uh, a fantastic experience if you really really want to get away you know and there's there's spots where you can fly in and they'll they'll fly in by a seaplane and drop you off and then you're way way out there i highly recommend bug spray uh, the south has got nothing on northern forests and bugs and you'd think oh florida they got all kinds of they got two kinds of every bug right now they got bugs in, in, in the seasons when the black flies and uh, no seams are out, man, they will carry you away. You make it sound like a lot of fun, Steve. It is. It is. <laughs> any any kind of bug that can survive that type of winter yeah. <laughs> and still come back with a vengeance should warrant some pretty, I'm like 98% deet, if you could get away with 100% deet. You know, yeah, that. yeah. No, that's well, I, I've, I've always gone in the fall, you know, like early Late summer, early fall, and it's not so bad. You know, it's, it's it can be really, really nice. It's, it's it's well worth the trip to get up there. I highly recommend it. You know, but for Michigan, you're talking about late summer. Late summer is 4 p.m. on the on the Fourth of July. Early summer is nine nine a.m. on the Fourth of July. They only get one day of summer up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's every other year, isn't every it? Other, every other year, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you got a really long springtime and fall. Yeah. <laughs> the rest is winter. Yeah, um, you know, you asked about stories. Or it's more of a neat observation on the Suwannee River. One of the things that I, I'm always, uh, you don't always see them because a lot of times there's just not very many boats on there. But if you do see a boat under power, it's probably going to be a canoe where a guy has put a 90 horsepower motor on the back of it. Maybe not quite that big, but it's a it's a big motor. Then he's moved. There's two. There seems to be two ways to go about it. Either all of the throttle controls have been moved to the front of the boat, and it's necessary because when those guys are running, they're more flying than they are boating. They're, they're the guy in, in the front of the boat is is two feet off the water, and they're zipping down that river. Um, the other way is the fellas in the back, and he's got his girlfriend up front as the counterweight. <laughs> and uh, just zipping down the river, 
uh, not dangerous in any way. They always you know, they give the. I've never had an experience that I get, don't give the paddlers a, a really wide berth. But as far as a mode of transportation, man, that looks fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how wide is the river on average in the in the trip you're taking? Hundred yards, maybe more in some spots. Some places it's narrower. You know, it varies. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Hundred? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely. A couple. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it slows right down. Yeah. Yeah, and you'll be going over some limestone cars. So like the bottom's hard in those places. Yeah, yeah. There was that, that one spot where we stopped where we're at. Um, uh, mudfish kept coming up, seeing what we were doing while we were stopped on the bank. That was all sandy, yeah. Yeah, I remember there was we were, saw that thing flopping out in the water, and we didn't know what it was. And I went out there and got it, and there was a monarch butterfly that had landed. And we brought the thing back. And come on, it's a butterfly. I couldn't believe it. Way out there in the middle of the river, it dried off, took off, and tried to get across the river again. Boonk. Didn't make it back in the water. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's just mother nature for you. Yeah. There's a female butterfly on the other side, man. He's getting there. Yeah. Up around the northern part, north of, like by White Springs and north of the Suwannee River Park, though, there's places it's actually pretty narrow. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... Uh, yeah, there's some of the spots, too, where... Limestone-y. Yeah. And, and some of them, like, it really spreads out and it's real shallow, you know, so, yeah, it varies. A lot of karst, a lot of limestone karst. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um I, I'm getting all. I, I forget we're on a podcast. You can't. You can't take these long nostalgic pauses, pauses. of thought and memory. <laughs> and be like, What's he doing? It, um, it has a landscape that's not like most rivers in the southeast, and it it really has it because the biggest thing of of, of what it lacks, which is a dock every four hundred yards, every couple miles. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just not there. It feels more like a wilderness, and it's not swampy. Yeah, it's not. It's it's well, it's brownish, but it's not in in places. It's it's dark, but it's not muddy. Well, that's what you, you know. I talked about the the tannic stained mm-hmm. waters. Uh, you get tannic acid comes from your your cypress trees and and leaves and stuff that fall in the water, and you see that a lot with. Uh, it's, it's one of the few blackwater rivers in the state of Florida. Um, here, close to where we're at right now, we have Blackwater Creek that flows, um, I believe it flows out of Lake Norris. And that whole river's, that creek is is almost the same. It's you, You've seen it in Seminole Forest, and it's, when you're standing there on the bank and you look in the shallow water, the water isn't murky. It's just stained brown from the vegetation and the trees all around it and mm-hmm. in it. Cause, like a really dark tea. Yeah, I was, right. gonna say, I was just going to say the exact same right. thing. It's yeah. not dirty water. It's just dark water because of all the, there isn't the woods haven't been cleared back from it there's nothing dirty about it like you you can go out to the center and take a a a water bottle and scoop it up and it when you look at the water isolated in the water bottle it almost looks clear like spring water there's no sediment right yeah yeah it's not like if you went out into the saint john's and scooped a bottle of that up and looked at it in there actually on both trips i didn't bring any water I just used a uh, life straw bottle. Yeah? Yeah. So Out on the river. Yeah. Yeah. The sites that we'll be staying at have got uh, potable water. Yeah. Did so you know well, except for the place that we're going to yeah, and they, pull off the last night. Oh, we, we were talking about you know, bringing provisions, too. You know, they've they got trash cans there, too. So, you, you know, you're not hauling trash the whole time. You know, restrooms, showers, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, we're still canoeing. We're traveling yeah. pretty light. Yeah. It's easy to stay green, though, leave no trace. Yeah. 
So did you notice any taste difference in the water coming out of that Life Straw bottle versus? No, it's pretty, pretty generic. I mean, I've I've used it all over. I've used it in the Alafia River. Um, just, I, that's yeah. That way I don't carry as much with me. You know. Right. I have not. Right. I have not drank any green swamp water yet out of the green swamp. Well, when you do, <laughs> let me know how that tastes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that. Fi- I don't think you get much of that through that filter. <laughs> You're done. Well, at the end of every episode, we like to end this off with a with a tip of the week. So, what do you guys got? Well, um, it's not really canoe related, but always wear your kill switch. Oh, absolutely. If, if you're driving something that's got a uh, a tethered kill switch on it, that's on there for a reason. I um, I recently purchased a mud boat, a long tail, and I was out trying it out, seeing what it could do, and it it threw me out of the boat, pretty. Pretty, pretty handily, you know, trying to take a corner too fast. There's a lot of um, moment on the end of that, on that long rudder, you know. It threw me right out. And I've had, uh, I've ran another um, unimpeded river in the southeast, uh, the Ogeechee River in Georgia, in my small boat. And in those little windy rivers like that, you talked about the white sand, the sandbars, they build up in the corners. I have, and I ran the Ogeechee on the far, on the mouth where it dumped into the Atlantic Ocean. So you get tidal sandbars in there as well. And I hit a sandbar one day. Had I not had my kill switch on, that could have been pretty bad. Yeah. I just turned the corner and there it was. Wasn't there three days before. It was there today. <laughs> uh, and I hit it and knocked the, knocked the uh, tiller handle out of my hand, but I was able to pull the kill switch and shut the motor down. So I didn't get all wild and crazy in my little boat. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. They're there for a reason. And yeah. even now, um, they have like Bluetooth kill switches. Uh, I do. I do. If you do have a physical kill switch with the tether and you're not alone in the boat, you got somebody else with you, you should have a spare one because if you get thrown out of the boat, they can't come get you. <laughs> I actually carry I actually carry a universal kill switch in my blind bag that I duck hunt with. There you go. Yeah, and the only reason man. I have it is because I lost my kill switch for go. quite a while to my yeah. other boat. You know where I found it, though? In my duck hunting jacket. <laughs> Probably should have been the first place I looked for it, but I didn't. Oh. That's where it was, right in the front pocket, where I'd got out one day and left the boat somewhere to walk, and I took the kill switch with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of already gave, especially canoeing related, already gave one big tip away was the, the gamble lid buckets that snap over the, the Homer bucket. Um, but my next tip, or maybe two tips, would be on the canoe trip, you want to waterproof box the snap lid you can pick these things up at walmart that you can just keep your cell phone and, and anything that you're going to use right away that you want at your feet uh and it's pretty useful because water's going to get in your canoe even if you're just paddling but that way it keeps your your cell phone easily accessible maybe a light uh that makes your life easier and then the second of these the roll top waterproof bags you know take your individual stuff throw it in a ziploc and then take your ziploc and throw it in that waterproof bag so if you've got your cell phone and your keys or whatnot in the waterproof box, it will float and remain waterproof. If you've got your food and whatnot in the the gamma lock bucket, that's going to stay waterproof. And then mm-hmm. if the rest of your gears in one of those, if you know what I'm talking about, it's a it's a heavy-duty rubberized bag. With it, you roll it down two or th- three two or three turns and then clip it back together. It's kind of hard to describe in a podcast. Yeah it's kind of hard to screw it up at that point yeah you'll be fine be comfortable be dry 
Wear your sunscreen, bring your water, bug, bear, bug spray, have fun. Always, always wear a belt knife in a boat. Yeah, I could see that. Always. Especially if you're messing with well, I've been messing around boats my whole life, you know. So um, if you've got a lot of lines, you know, ropes or lines or, you know, any, anything you could get tangled up in, you, you need to have a knife on you. So I was going to say, if you're planning on doing a trip like this for any extended period of time, it would behoove you to learn how to self-bail a canoe. Uh, I wouldn't say canoes are impossible to sink, but they're very, very hard to completely sink. And you can, even in the middle of a lake, bail a canoe mostly out of water after it's been completely full of water using another canoe. Uh, T-Rescue. And I'm sure there are plenty of videos on that on YouTube. And if you got a canoe and your buddy's got a canoe, then there's no reason you shouldn't go to the local lake and try it uh, before you get to the point that you need it. <laughs> when I used to teach Boy Scouts uh, canoeing, you know, for merit badges and whatnot, uh, the hardest thing they had to do was learn the tea rescue because they're, they're they're still young; they don't have a lot of the strength. It's also the most important most fun that they had during the course just are in the water wet yeah learn the point of that wasn't so much about the boy scouts but it was practicing some of those canoe skills is actually kind of fun it's it's a day in and of itself and when you when you learn how to do those things when you are just having fun when it really happens and then you're also trying to figure out where all your gear is or somebody's fishing poles the bottom you just you just want to get it done so learn how to do a t-rescue that's a great and uh, take the important stuff, the stuff you just don't want to lose no matter what, and tie it off. Yeah. Because if you tie it off, at least then, even if you sank the canoe all the way to the bottom, in order to find that bag with your wallet and cell phone in it, guess what all you got to find? The giant canoe. <laughs> and then there's your stuff tied to yeah. the canoe. So, man, tell us, when is this trip going to happen, Jim? It's coming up here shortly. So the three-day trip will begin on Friday, May 21st, and then run through Sunday, May 24th. 20, well, I don't know if my math skills are there. It's three days. 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Yeah, 23rd. My <laughs> apologies. And the five-day trip will start on the 19th. Um, we're going to meet at the, I think it's called the Swanee Springs Outfitters, or Swanee Spring Canoe Outfitters. We're going to meet up there at 9 a.m. on the 19th. And then we'll be back there again at 9 a.m. on the 21st. And then the outfitter is going to pick us up about 30, mi 30 miles downstream at the bridge that I can't remember the name of and bring you <laughs> back to your car. And traditionally, we usually go out and have a, have a big meal afterwards and just kind of share fellowship and laugh at each other and then – Say, see you at the next small game hunter fishing trip or worst case scenario, see you at the next canoe trip. So you can find out about this canoe trip or you would have even already known about it if you were a member of the Florida chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and you were part of their Facebook group. Uh, but if you're not, you're just now hearing about it right now and you're like, man, I don't want to miss out on any of these events in the future, you can scroll down to the bottom of this podcast description and click on the link to their Facebook page, and there's also going to be a link down there to join Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and then you're going to get on that, that 
constant stream of information where these events are happening around the state. In addition to this canoe trip coming up at the end of May, we also have the crawfish boil coming up at the end of this month. Well, I guess May it's the 1st, beginning of the May. The beginning of yeah. next month. Yeah, the beginning of May. So May 1st in the Wekaiba River. If you guys haven't found our crawfish boil on our page, it's tagged to the top as an event. You can get on there, buy your tickets now, because they are selling like, well, crawfish. <laughs> Hot crawfish. <laughs> yeah. Bring your family, bring your chairs, bring you something to drink. We'll provide all the good food and good times. And it's just a beautiful place down there, a white sandy beach, and plenty of shade, volleyball nets. I mean, nice green grass. You can't beat it. It'll be a great day out there. On one of Florida's other really fantastic rivers, the Wakaiva. And it is crystal clear. The Wakaiva is beautiful. So, if you want to get catfish, yep, <laughs> yep. But till next week, Steve. Thank you for joining us this week, and I know oh, you guys are going to blast on that canoe trip. Looking forward to it. You guys have a great week. <laughs>